Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Laundry. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. The boys are here today. No guest. It's just one of those episodes where we're just gonna just gonna riff, right, boys? That's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Virtual fist fights. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, so what are we talking about today? And then before we get into that topic, we are going to go over a bit of housekeeping. So Jack, tease the episode. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about just good old fashioned training. We haven't done a lot of talk about that. Part of what we want from this podcast is to do different things, but also training is a huge part of obviously being a pro and being an age group athlete that's you know our main day-to-day stuff so we'll just talk a little bit about how we train how our training is going kind of our beliefs on training in general and kind of see where it goes but before that like you said a little bit of housekeeping um the first contest giveaway for our patrons um not a contest just a giveaway for all our patrons is coming up. It's going to be announced very soon because this episode is coming out on the 29th and we're going to choose that winner uh, on the, on the last day of the month. So still have a chance to get in on that action, which is, holy crap. I forgot what's in the contest. What is in the contest? Does anybody remember? Yeah. Goggles and also a huge discount, huge 30% oh, yeah. off discount on Rolf wheels, Rolf Prima and, handmade wheels and a $50 Jackrabbit gift card. Run. Running, right. so running, running, running or apparel. Yeah, that's right. So that's an awesome little nugget for all those patrons, which still there's not a huge amount. Thanks to everyone, by the way, who's recently signed up. Um, that's awesome. We've, we've definitely gotten a handful who've jumped on this month, but the numbers are still pretty low. So the chances of winning is pretty high. Um, if you do jump in on that and there's going to be a contest every single month. The other thing is we're going to release a bonus episode for all our patrons, which was, an episode of us chatting with our friend Dave Hopton about some old race stories and uh, training stories from when he was on the team with Garrick and I back uh, right around a little before Nick joined. And then we also just talked about some funny things that have happened with, uh, you know, as as pro athletes, some of the things that, that we've done. So that was fun. And Nick, as Nick mentioned, the big discount off the 30% off Ross wheels is one of the prizes. And that is uh, that you can use on our team website which is really starting to come together. I know Nick's been working really hard with our team store manager to bring that up to speed. So Nick, why don't you talk about some of the new stuff we got on there? Yeah. The team store is a one-stop shop for anyone who wants to kind of grab some of the products that we use on the daily. And these aren't things that we take lightly. Like we love everything we use that we talk about that we promote and we want to grow with our sponsors. We want them to grow with us. So that's why we're happy to promote and give you all a place that's easy to navigate to purchase and get a direct shipment to your home. And you're, you know, we actually have good partnerships and they're helping us out. So we get to actually recoup some of that wholesale or the, the retail cost, whatever else. I mean, obviously with a big discount like this for these Rolf wheels, we're just, doing everything we can to cut all costs and give them away for as little as we can. So that's kind of why we're taking care of our patrons too, but the team store, check it out. We've got probably five or six sponsors on there who these are things we use all the time. And we would love it if you could enjoy them too, with some, you know, good discounts. That's exactly right. So just a quick name, those brands that we got on there so far, We've got one of the new additions was Speed Hound. They've got a lot of really good recovery products, specifically recovery boots, compression stuff. Uh, We got Zoka gear, cycling stuff and try stuff. Uh, Blue 70, wetsuits, swim skins, goggles, uh, the Magic Magic 5, and Rolf on there. So lots of really good stuff there for you guys to check out. And Garrick's going to throw a link in the show notes. I always say that, and then I never check if he does. So always do. He does. I check. Here he does. I've never had somebody be like, where are the notes? I mean, guys, that's where I do all my shopping is in the team store. So I don't know why you shouldn't either. Eventually we're going to have groceries (laughs) on there and we're going to have just everything. I think we'll put my favorite toothbrush, Sonicare, all that stuff. Yeah, that's right. 
Same day delivery. If you live within a five-hour bike ride of Nick Chase's house, he will deliver it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Bye, bike. All right. So I think that's about it for that. Um, Now, into the into what we wanted to talk about training so let's let's start with just how things are going for training all three of us are getting ready for the same race 70.3 texas coming up april 11th uh this is kind of going to be the last little bit of our hard training here start with the the young buck garrick how's it going for you with the uh busy schedule the young buck oh, i thought you were gonna ask be asking nick <laughs> then um uh, I, I think it's going pretty well, to be honest. I think I'm in a pretty good spot. Like January, I think the motivation was sort of low coming off that, that half marathon and then kind of getting into the groove of things. School starting up, we're, we're kind of picking up as well. Um, but the pad, I've been able to put the past few weeks to like together pretty solidly. I've been up in around the 18 to 23 hours a week. And But the one thing I forget, man, like obviously when you're training full-time, that's like not big hours, but when you're mentally fatigued during the day, sometimes those sessions can, can kind of get to you. And I forget like how chronically fatigued you get when you're just like on it all the time. Oh man. I can't even imagine with all you've got going on training, let's say 20 hours on average. I mean, I'm only doing a few hours more than that. And that seems like a lot to me and I don't have like full-time school and work. So, uh, out of that 20 hours, like, how does that look for you in terms of number of swims, bikes, runs, um, you know, kind of generally? Yeah. So those big 20 hours, like the 20 hours I've been hitting the past, like recently past three weeks, um, it's been, we've been five runs, um, five swims and four bikes, I think. So I'm usually about nine, nine to 10 hours of riding, seven hours of running, and then or six hours of running and then um just fill in the gaps with the swim i kind of fill fill in time when i can in the water and get in as much as i can yeah uh, so yeah that can be anywhere from six hours ish i don't know if that added up and then two hours of strength that's pretty much where i'm at yeah yeah so that adds up to like 22 probably yeah uh, but yeah i mean that's that's a lot and you know that's gonna put you in a good spot if you're able to get the quality um i think you're gonna be ready to roll uh i know nick's been putting in some some good work too obviously he just raced have we even talked about that race Jeez, we got to talk about that freaking race race yeah he raced challenged challenged miami and freaking against the world's greatest athletes and uh definitely showed some some boys how it's done so yeah we'll go into that race first and then you can tell us about training and well, well, first off, I know what you just said, but I'm going to contradict it. I do train about 22 to 30 something hours a week, but I do it all at once. So I just go nonstop <laughs> until it's done. And then I just rest and recover. Uh, He's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Challenge Miami. Uh, what is there to say? It was absolutely the most fun I've had at a race in probably years. And I was a little nervous because I was like, oh, it's going to be so much aero time. And there's like not a lot of opportunity to get out of it. But with the wind and the turns and being on the speedway on the bike course, at least it was very technical and people actually kind of lost their minds. Um, I was pretty astonished how poor pro triathletes could handle a bike. I mean, the top 10 we're definitely handling their bikes well because that's how they got the big gaps. But I was able to, and I had, had a bad swim ish. And then I rode up to 11th and then I was just motoring through people because they were so hesitant on the corner. So I was able to bike and run to my fitness level of the season to the starting point, And I'm absolutely really happy with it. So that, that was a good day for me. Yeah, man, that was a consistent day. So trying to follow the race, obviously they show like that pointy end of the field. Yeah. Um, and then with the men overlapping with the women, I would have liked to maybe they didn't overlap it and we could watch the whole end of the women's race, but that's a whole nother topic. Mm-hmm. It, but seeing you on the scoreboard there, you kind of look consistent, like just consistently plugging away on the bike. You were holding strong. You were one of the faster guys through the laps. And then you, man, you freaking nailed the run finally. And that was so <laughs> yeah. exciting to see. Like that was so, so nice to see. 
That was the whole yeah, thing. like all day. I'm like, oh my god, how's the run gonna go? <laughs> like, when's he gonna blow up? When's he gonna shit the old bed? But I, I, I was surprisingly pretty good. I only had one little low point where it was like a knife stabbing side stitch in the psoas for about three to five minutes, which I was like literally running and punching myself in the psoas trying to get it to release and then grabbing it like a like an eagle's talon trying to just dig on in there. Um, and it finally went away. However, it did lose me a couple positions. So I probably could have been closer to 13th, but finished 16th. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Cause I typically would have lost a lot more to that depth of a field. I mean, only being like eight minutes off of Jan is pretty stellar. Um, and when he went by me, it was just like, he was eating a burrito and hanging out with his friends. He's just not even faced like that guy is just talent beyond all measure. Uh, but even just, I think the biggest experience and takeaway is just being at a challenge event is, uh, is so refreshing. You know, um, they care about the pro athletes. We had some VIP dinners that were taken care of. We were the, the CEO of challenge North America. Um, Bill Christie was there and he just took such good care of us and gave us, he's the reason why we had the broadcast. He set it up that way to where NBC would be able to leverage us to get more sponsors in the future. And it's just refreshing to be part of an organization and race with an organization that absolutely values what we do and the hard work we put into it. And then the good thing is we were able to hang around for the age group racing on Saturday and Sunday. Like I was out there following Flocka around on Sunday for like the whole race in the morning with camera and a gimbal and running through transition. And I couldn't have done that at an Ironman event. They just gave me, you know, I guess knowing the race director at this event helped, but um, it was a good weekend for the team, uh, the whole RTS. Leslie had a good, uh, great run. She was a little phased on the, on the bike, which, you know, that's pretty common. Um, but honestly, she had, I think one of the fastest runs out there. It was incredible. And I was, every time I laughed her when I was on the bike and she was on the run, I'd scream out to her. And the same thing with our friend, Sarah Crowley, just being able to see our friends out there while we're racing was an experience that I can't say has been trumped by anything else. So that's kind of all I got to say. It's just, if you can support challenge, then you should, cause they're a good organization. That's awesome. And the only question I have for you is why did you not do the Taylor Reed and jump on Jan's heels for a few minutes there when he went by and just draft? Cause him? everyone does that. <laughs> I was like, okay, I could be on camera a little longer, but Oh, I'm just going to get dropped again. And it's just, it's <laughs> <laughs> just, and then and the, I was happy that he only lapped me in the last like mile and a half. Like I wasn't that far off. I didn't get lapped on the bike at all, which was awesome. Um, and these are short so, laps. These are not long laps. Like mile, a, mile and a half. Yeah. That's amazing. Or something like that. Yeah. I got freaking lapped at Daytona and it was way longer laps than that. Well, uh, there's, I think there was more guys. I think we only had like 48 or 49 and I think he all had like 60. So yeah, I mean, it was a crazy competitive race. You did awesome. Um, and Thanks. I think I think that's like, you know, the next race, you're just going to not have the crazy stabbing issue pain-wise, and that's just going to be 30 seconds and a minute faster to a minute faster in the last little bit on the run, and you're going to freaking crush it. So uh, that's Texas. So speaking of that, mm-hmm. um, you said you do 22 to 30-something hour training weeks. How does your training look, you know, compared to what Garrick mentioned um, in general when you're kind of gearing up for a race and big training block? Man, um, you know, I know Garrick has a lot going on. We all do. You know, it's life is it's all relative. But the past couple of past six or seven months, I've had to kind of negotiate a lot more with, you know, team stuff. And in my days usually ended before all this, probably around like 1 or 2 p.m. I try to get most of my training done in the morning. But now even, you know, it's six, seven o'clock now. And I'm just finished the last session, probably like, you know, three something. And then I had the hyperbaric chamber for recovery afterwards for an hour and a half. So my days are absolutely starting at 7am and they're ending usually around seven. So the training aspect of it goes as much as I can get done in the morning when the weather's good. Um, the here in Utah, the weather's starting to warm up so we can ride outside. We've got a great outdoor warm pool. Um, and then, just mixing it in and trying to negotiate all my other obligations has been the hardest part like anybody else. But I can just say that 
it's been consistent. And that's the biggest weapon we all have as athletes is consistent training. You can't have two good weeks and then a month of crap. Um, so even if you've got to force yourself to get up a little early and make that early swim, because in the evening you're a little bit lax and you're tired and you want to be home, you've got to prioritize the key sessions and you got to focus on your weak areas. So wherever I'm the, the crappiest, and sometimes that's on the back half of the run after a hard bike, I've just been smashing myself, like doing the team time trials on Zwift, putting out like, I don't know, 350 ish watch for 45 minutes sometimes, and then running straight off of it, even though I just absolutely tanked. Um, I've been trying to do what I see my competitors doing as well, like just being so hungry during those sessions that I know that even if it's a little subpar, it's still the same stimulus that they're getting because it's stressed and it's relative. And you've got to go there. You've got to go deeper in training sometimes than you plan to do on race day, because you've only got probably two or three performances throughout the year where you can really shine to your absolute fullest. Um, the rest of the time you're either recovering or going in and out of fitness. So you've got to pick your peaks and valleys. So that's kind of how my training has been going and coming into Miami. The last few weeks were just all more focused on being arrow as much as possible because the course was flat. Um, running really fast on flat surfaces off the bike, getting overspeed in the treadmill. And then I've been swimming so much lately. My swim load over the last six months has probably doubled, um, maybe up to 35K per week sometimes, 25 to 35K. Um, it's just helped my cardio output so well. Um, and I think that's where going to be my, that's going to be my major weapon this year is just the boost in the swim is going to just put me in a better position to stay in those front groups and then not have to slaughter myself on the run to survive. So that's kind of been what I've been doing. Yeah, I've seen it. I mean, if, when I was down there training with you, you're crushing, you know, some of those big workouts um, and getting into a lot of pull stuff and a lot of band work and really loving it. So um, I think that's going to pay off for sure. And the big mileage, like that's amazing. I've just started touching 25 K and I'm feeling really good on my swim. So yeah. 30 plus is, is huge, but yeah. Um, even, even 25 for me has been great. And, uh, it seems I've kind of taken a lot of what I learned there in Utah as well and implemented a lot more pull, a lot more band, um, a lot more pull with paddles, more strength work, like working with a parachute, um, just to get that lat strength and lat recruitment, uh, a little bit better. And I've really noticed a difference the last couple of weeks. Um, so I guess talking about training in general, um, we let's start with the swim because this is one thing where it's totally different for, and I think swim training in general, like bike training, run training is kind of the same in that you hit your zones, you hit your mileage. That's what's going to get your benefit in the swim. You've got to hit your zones. You got to hit your mileage but you've also got to do it properly with the proper form and the proper cues that are going to get you to be efficient. And that's a huge difference in my opinion. Um, obviously form on the run and bike are important, but they're not, you know, naturally people tend to have pretty decent run or bike form. Naturally, you don't need to just reconstruct your stride most of the time. Um, so when it comes to swimming, obviously there's really fit people who swim two minutes per hundred and there's really fit people who swim 110 per hundred. Um, so Nick, I know you've coached a ton of athletes. What do you like to do for a progression for swimming to get someone ready? Um, let's say they're six months out from a race. What should they be focusing on at the beginning? And then how does that progress throughout? Yeah, that's, it's not super complicated to kind of explain, but the hardest part is to kind of get people to commit to it because swimming is just the part of our sport where it takes extra time to get to the pool, to change, to go places, to have pool hours that are available during COVID. So swimming is a bit of a tough topic, but for me as a coach, I've always kind of scoffed at coaches who use the same ratio of race duration to train the same, like, like, so let's put it in simpler terms. Like you're only in the water for like, I don't know, the 25 minutes at a half Ironman, but you're on the bike for, for, I'm speaking in terms of pro athletes from our experience. And we're on the bike for two hours running for, you know, 75 minutes or less. So some coaches would say, well, you're going to swim to those same ratios. Your swimming is going to be pretty low key since you're not going to be racing as much. And age group athletes kind of have that same mindset. Sometimes the same thing when it comes to adding little bits of value, like flip turns or getting video analysis or, 
knowing how to use tools properly. So I would say when it comes to the swimming, like I'm a coach who focuses on understanding of the physics of why you need to swim with a certain type of technique. Now there's always the staples and I always look for three things and it's, it's great. I just had an athlete consultation like 15, 20 minutes ago. So we were talking about this. I look for your timing, your body position and your propulsion. I look at those three things. We figure out which is the most effed up. So let's, most people are dragging their legs with poor timing in the kick pull and they're not able to have good front quadrant early vertical forearm and they're not finishing the stroke. So those are the three areas we're seeing lack of power. We're seeing lack of propulsion and lack of timing. And how do you know all that stuff? You got to get a video. You have to have underwater video of you swimming. If you really want to slow it down, pick it apart and understand your physical limitations as a swimmer, like it could be shoulder mobility. It could be ankle dexterity. It could be hip activation. It could be core recruitment as you're pulling through and kicking. So there's so much technical aspects to the swim and this is why it's overwhelming. And this is why coaches kind of fluff it off because it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Your equity is not going to be reciprocated. If you put hundred percent of the swim, you might only get 20% out of it over the course of six months. So let's focus on what you need to focus on in terms of racing. You have to simulate race conditions. You should stress yourself and the environment whether it's open water or you need to get into a lane with other swimmers that are going to touch you, touch your feet, hit your body, stress you out, put you in that kind of overload process. You have to work on overspeed for the first two to 300 meters of every swim, because that's when you establish your position. That's when you get your breathing and you settle in. And that's really the main thing. You just have to be able to handle the first two to 300 meters, even up to 500 meters of swim, depending on the course. And then you settle in and then you find a rhythm. So those are the types of things you want to do in training. You want to have a day when you're focusing on overload, overspeed, VO2 max, barely touching the wall, suffering. Those are the days you have to really um, hit the, the overspeed start. Then you go to your long set, steady strength sets with Jackson's talking about where you're dragging your legs with a band, you're working on core recruitment, you're pulling with paddles with good form and good paddles that work for your dynamics. And then the last bit, you just don't want to burn your hip flexors out and do a whole lot of kick sets as a triathlete. So you kick hard when you're, when you swim hard and then you do, you do days when like Jackson, you and I have same coach. So we see these same workouts where we're doing 10 by 100 race start. Then we're doing four by 400 steady with pulling. And then we're just doing a next nice couple 200 exit. Um, so those are the types of things you want to mimic the situation for race day. Um, and then the last bit before I let you guys take over is sighting. And then also knowing how to swim in a straight line. I don't care how fast you can swim. If you're zigging and zagging, you're adding another three to 400 meters to your day, you're, you're losing time. So your swim efficacy has to go up as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my quick and dirty opinion on the swim. Um, where do you all stand? I totally disagree. Everything you just said. <laughs> that's what I was hoping for. Let's debate. No, um, I've man, you pretty much got it because you've always uh crushed me and swam with me, and sometimes off half the amount of training. <laughs> you kind of got it with like everything there, and my beef as well is with these coaches who tell you that you basically don't need to swim because it's only ten percent of the race. How many times have you heard the swim is only ten percent of the race? And a lot, but it's the first ten percent of the race. If you're, if you're just showing up to the pool and you're, I just, I just got to cover the distance and cause it's only 10% of the race and I'll get out there. And it's like, guys, that's how Jackson talks. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Just it's like, like but it's this point in the race. How many times do you hear someone say, you know, I'm just a weak swimmer and I just got to get through the swim or whatever. And it's this swim. It's only 10%, but with the anxiety component to it, with the inefficiency that it requires for you to cover this 10% of the distance you're getting out and you're already behind. I remember back when I was racing ITU, this is something that really, really struck me. I was rooming with this kid who led out of every elite junior series race every time. And I would just barely, if it was a wetsuit swim, I would just barely make the back of this lead pack. And I remember talking to him and he's like, I'm like, man, so like every time I get out of this water, cause I'm just crushing myself to make this lead pack and I get out of the water and I am fried. 
And then you have to hammer the first five minutes of the bike, right? Because that's just I2 racing. And this guy's like, I have never been tired coming out of the swim before. And that hit me. I was like, dude, like I'm already starting so far behind coming out of that water. And think about if you're trying to do an Ironman and you're barely making it through that 3.8K of swimming, whether you're trying to keep up with someone or not, or you're just trying to finish it. And you're only 10% through the race and you're already that far behind and that tired. You got to spend time with it. And then not only that, but spending time in the water, you can hit so many different zones in training. You can go, so you can dig so much deeper and really go lactic you can do these way harder intervals than you can definitely do on the run and that you can de- that you can do on the bike because there, there are some strength limitations on the bike. And it's just these zones that you just can't hit these max zones that you just really can't hit anywhere else with very little like pounding or, or so you're saying risk. like this, this, the high output swimming that you can do, it's less impact. You're in a buoyant, you know, safer um, environment those translate in your opinion to the bike and the run on aerobic capacity for sure. Totally agree. I agree too. And I, uh, yeah, just then both you guys nailed it just to add to what Nick said. And I know he's a huge proponent of this as well. Um, all those things that Nick mentioned, and there's, you know, even more things that we could mention about swimming and form and stuff, but Mm -hmm. Of all that, the most important thing is that the athlete understands what it is they're trying to change and improve and how the swim should feel and what they should be focusing on and why they should be focusing on it. And that can be very challenging because I find as a coach, you know, you, we all know quite a bit about swim form just from watching different videos. We've studied it. We've, we've seen a ton of really good swimmers. We've talked to different coaches, talked to each other we've studied the sport of swimming and gained an understanding of it. And when you're talking to a beginner swimmer or an age group athlete who doesn't really care or know much about form, it can be really hard to get some of those points across, especially when everything has every action has a reaction and yeah, you should get your elbow higher. And then, you know, maybe they lift their elbow up and then they're not including their, they're not firing their lat anymore. So I think, one thing that everyone can do to improve is to understand swimming better, spend some time watching some different videos about swim form. And even if each one's not necessarily perfect, you'll pick up a lot and a lot of visual cues from watching these really good swimmers and watching these different form analysis and understand swimming so that when you see what you're doing, you can now visualize, okay, this, this part of my stroke's not right. And this is what my coach said. Now it makes sense when, you know, you actually kind of understand it. So that's, that's one thing that I think most athletes can improve upon is to just understand it better. And then maybe what your coach will, this is saying, will start to make more sense to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Eric said, yeah, it's only 10% of the race, but okay, fine. Become a great swimmer or improve your swim and then swim at a lower effort and a faster speed. And then all of a sudden you're coming out five minutes ahead, your heart rates at 140 instead of 170 and you're set up way better for your day. Um, so that's, that's always another thing is sometimes you're like, Oh, you know, I didn't get out of the water super far up, but maybe you've kind of had a bit more of a tempo type effort and you're not totally trashed. Um, Um, I agree with Garrick. I've been completely trashed almost every swim of my freaking life. (laughs) And it'd be nice to get in that lead pack with ease someday, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. Well, we're all getting faster. So we're all going to keep having to step it up over and over. Um, but you know, there's, there's two other things that I wanted to touch upon before we move off the swim is, you know, I think a lot of swimmers have this interpretation of what they need to be just, and they talk about it and age group athletes are kind of the worst at just talking about something. And then they, they say it enough and then they start to believe it. So I always just say like, well, of course, with that attitude, if you say you're not a swimmer, if you say, oh, well, I just sink, well, of course you do. Like let's evolve beyond the definitions we set for ourselves. And if you want to do better within the sport, you've got to stop talking so negatively about your current limitations and just look at them as a challenge that you want to overcome. And it's always knowledge. And that's why as a, you know, I coached masters for many years is that's why I, any beginner, I wanted them to learn how to do flip turns and it was important. And that's a big contentious area for age group athletes because there's no flip turns in the open water, but 
the reason why, and I wanted to know you too, your opinion on this after I just say this, but flip turn adds body control, breath control, it adds a sequence and it allows you to transition your speed into the wall, like a spring compress and launch right back off. And it all also allows you to swim with a fast group of people because they're all going to be flip turning as well because it's efficient. If it wasn't working collegiate world-class people wouldn't be flip turning. Um, it just adds another dynamic to your stroke. You've got to come off the wall properly. You've got to streamline, you've got to work on your breath control and your stroke dynamics going into the wall. And you've got to do like, you've got to pat your head and run, rub your stomach basically to perform this flip turn. So it requires, you know, a lot more mental recruitment and muscle recruitment. So I don't look at it. It's just the action, but the mental engagement, the mental toughness that it adds to it, because how many times have you just been gassed, dying, trying to breathe every stroke and that's still not enough, but then you got to flip turn and hold your breath and go hypoxic, come off the wall and take a breath or hold your breath for an exit stroke. Um, so that's kind of why I think, you know, that's one aspect swimmers need to kind of focus on too, is just not being scared of the things that are challenging within the water. What do you, what do you think? I think that breath control is a, a very important thing to touch upon. And it's something that a lot of newer swimmers or people that come in swimming late and people that coach swimmers that come in too, too late. Like I think, what do they call it? Late onset swimmers is that a term that <laughs> nice. someone has coined? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Which yeah. I think, yeah, I think we're re all relatively late onset swimmers. Mm -hmm. Nick, Nick more so, uh, which is incredibly impressive. Cause but, Nick's the fastest swimmer at us three, by the way, in the pool, yeah. it's like, we're to try to keep up with his little toes. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I push off the wall with these yeah. big old dumb quads. Well, but no, but I mean, but listen to Nick's advice on the swim because he's made himself a very good swimmer and he didn't start till he was in his 20s. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. but 24. Kinda, yeah, to get back to that, the breath in the water, your face in the water, to be able to be relaxed with your face in the water and running out of breath and know, like, it's okay, I'm not going to die and not have that rise in anxiety is something that I think those of us who never really experienced that just kind of take for granted. And especially coaches who started swimming from a young age, they don't even consider this at all. Like they don't even think about this aspect when it's, it's so important. Like how many times have you told the swimmer, okay, now just blow bubbles when your face is in the water and it never crossed their mind because mm -hmm. while their face is in the water, they're so stressed and they're, they Holy have this breath. Yeah. They're holding their breath and they have this anxiety within them. That's, like, oh my God, I could drown right now. And then you put people next to them on top of that in an open water setting, um, but they can't see where they're going. It's mayhem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sketchy. Uh, the points you guys brought up were great. And, and I, one thing Nick mentioned that uh, I think is, is very good is that awareness of, you know, where you are in the water and awareness of where the wall is, is super important. Like if you're, if you're flip turning, you got to know exactly where that wall is. And that's, similar to having awareness in the open water, like even just people around you, what's going on, where the boys are. Um, that adds definitely a lot of other elements, like Nick mentioned, that are very good. And the biggest one that people like to see is that quick improvement. Like, oh, I started doing flip turns and now all of a sudden I'm five seconds faster per hundred. Even though their swimming might not be faster, that still translates to, you know, swimming with faster people, getting that positive momentum in your mind that you're improving. Um, and just, yeah, having the ability to train with a group. Like if you're trying to swim with a group and people are flip turning and some aren't like, you're basically never swimming with them because you're just catching up the whole length and then they're taking off and it's, it's not, you know, and then you get frustrated because you're like, I should be faster than these people. So there's a ton of good aspects for flip turns. Definitely. Uh, well, and, and you can before one, one second, real quick, you can also do a fast open turn for all the naysayers out there. You can do them, but like, you're just losing your momentum. So I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off, Jackson. I, just, I know somebody right now is listening and they're like, oh, I'm the fastest open turner ever. And I won't lose any time, but you're, you're part of a very select few. Well, actually, that's another good point is if you can't do a flip turn, at least first learn how to properly do an open turn, because most people just use it as a rest. Like they get yeah. to the wall, take a big breath turn around and push off when if you watch like olympic swimmers or anything who are doing like breaststroke or one of the strokes where you can't do flip turns it's not allowed they're still extremely efficient and fast at it and there's no reason you can't do that because it's such a simple form of a turn um so definitely yeah. learn. all right Perfect. so that's swimming i mean yeah. you crushed it <laughs> 
you really nailed it. And there's a lot to talk about with swimming. So that's why we really, we really wanted to hammer it, but let's roll into biking. So, uh, biking as if we're going by percentages, that's what 50% of your race. Uh, you still have that old ass ringtone, Garrick change that. Heck yeah. That's just <laughs> for the garbages. <laughs> oh God. So by right, Jackson. Yes. Um, in terms of, you know, the percentage of your race, you're looking at at least 50% on the bike, hopefully. Um, maybe not hopefully, I don't know, but around that range. So obviously the bike is going to be the highest mileage overall in your training and it's low impact. So typically you're not going to get injured from biking as long as there's not some severe um, limitation of your flexibility or terrible bike fit or things like that. So um, when it comes to your bike training, what do you guys think of as like a good generic you know, long ride plus two hard workouts a week, two hard workouts where one of them is your long ride, you know, how do you think it's structured or do you think it's pretty flexible and you can kind of work it around your schedule and just try to get, uh, overall a mix of all kinds of different riding in. Eric, you're busiest. You go first. Uh, so a big change that we recently did to our training or I did to my training probably within since COVID, but within the year, is switching from three hard bike rides a week to two hard bike rides a week. And so obviously one of them is in my long ride every Saturday, obviously right now on the trainer, it's four hours with hard intervals. Uh, we're starting to dial into more race specific stuff, but, and then midweek we do kind of some more VO two stuff hard again, uh, obviously being a pro and trying to get my getting ready for 70.3, my volume is higher than I would give for most age group athletes that I coach. So I do like two and a half hours midweek in a hard ride and then four hours on the weekend. And then the other staple that I would say for an athlete should be an easy ride, ride. easy recovery, coffee ride. Exactly. So you don't need to do like two and a half and, and four hours, but I would definitely, if I'm suggesting, suggesting something should be, you should be hitting three rides a week. You should be doing a hard midweek ride, a hard, weekend ride that's longer uh depending on the time of year you can change that duration up and then an easy recovery ride boom kona (laughs) jack jack what do you think yeah i i like that and definitely you want to get two quality sessions a week where your focus is those intervals or your tempo if you're doing a little bit more race specific stuff uh i personally like to try to do as much of my intervals in the arrow position as I can. Um, if it's really high end intervals, I'll get out of the arrow position for some of it, but anything at a threshold or lower, I'm definitely trying to be arrow for the most of it, just because that's what you have to do in a race. So I feel like it's just specificity is important to me at least. Um, but yeah, that's a great breakdown. And, you know, obviously some people might want to do four rides a week and two of them are easy or whatever. And that's, that's cool too. But I think the main thing is to focus on for those hard workouts. Don't be a Strava obsessed person. Who's like, I got to ride 30 kilometers an hour at all times. So that my average speed is high. And then you're like going into a headwind for your warm up, and you're killing yourself. And then you get to the main set and you're barely doing any more power than you were on your warm up. And I know a lot of people do that. So, I mean, I don't even use Strava. I don't even look at it. And I think it's probably better for general mental health to not be too obsessed with mileage. But other than that, I think, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. You get the work done and you, you get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's more or less like if you've only got a certain amount of time, like most athletes I coach during the week are kind of busy. So they've got an hour to an hour and a half in the morning. And that's sometimes it. Um, so we try to optimize the hit sessions during the week, and then you want to simulate your long days on the weekend as much as you can, because you've got to grab that volume, um, where, wherever you can, if you're, if you're crunched on time, like if you're 15 or 10, actually, if you're like a 10 hour a week athlete, um, you've just got to, you know, pony up, wake up super early on a Saturday and get it done and then hang out with family and do your obligations. Because number one, you want to know what it's like mentally to be out there stuck in arrow, working hard. You want to know what it's like to fuel. You want to simulate all that stuff. And then also you want to burn some matches along the way and put yourself at a deficit to where you've got to have to run off that, um, you know, transition runs or interval bricks or situations to where you're some, you're replicating the environment on race day. Those are great, but you also, you know, and this is something I've been focusing a lot on as a coach is how different 
you know, male and female athletes respond differently to high interval sessions. Um, you know, I, I know that for sure after a race, once I've d- dug really, really deep and this has affected me after Miami, like I hit a pretty, pretty hard four or five days where I was, I needed to go easy. And I normally I could have gone hard the Tuesday after the race if I wanted to, but now that I'm getting a little older in my, you know, almost mid thirties, um, my testosterone takes a big hit, my fatigue levels and my, my, um, inflammatory markers are a little bit higher. So with female athletes, I've seen, they can bounce back a little quicker when it comes to that, especially if they're a little healthier, um, before the race and they're not super smashed, but even if I'm hitting hard VO two sets, you've got to allow a couple days between them. So you don't want to hit all every session VO two hits. You want to allow yourself a lot of recovery when you do those things too. So how you stagger your intervals with rest should be really important. So sometimes we'll do like the hardest swim sets I think I've done are like, what are they? I think it's like seven maximum effort fifties on like two minutes. Like for some reason that just crushes you because the last three or four, like the lactic acid is no longer clearing. You've gone as fast as you can and you're just struggling. And that takes a long time to recover on, you know, for your body to get back to homeostasis. So the biggest thing on the bike is make sure that you can't just go out and crush every single ride. Every ride has to have a purpose, specificity, and I got to say it, and it's scary to say, is I've known probably six cyclists over the age of 50 who never let up. Every group ride, they're smashing it. Um, they're, they've had heart attacks. Their hearts are just strained so much so often as cyclists, and they've always got to prove themselves, and they're always winning the Wednesday workout. Uh, that It just takes its toll. So you've got to build in recovery if you're going to work as hard as you do on the bike. And that's the biggest thing I've, I've learned for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one thing with cycling culture for sure is, you know, you're not pounding, you're not pounding your legs and, and getting stress fractures. So you feel like you can go every day and, um, but the body still knows your heart, your heart doesn't care whether you're running or biking. All it cares about is what's the heart rate at and when does it get to rest? And, um, we'll definitely go into recovery days, but yeah, uh, two, two hard workouts a week is lots for biking and, I've been in the same boat as Garrick where in the past I've done three at times and two other times. And I do feel like two is better where you just, those two, you're like in your mind, those are two really hard workouts. And if you want to push a little more than it says, or you want to push a little extra on the cool down or something, that's fine. But when I had three, sometimes it was like, Oh, you know, two of them end up being like kind of so, so not that great. And then it's like, well, I'd be better off doing two really good ones than three semi okay ones. Um, but yeah, Nick, you nailed her again, of course. Um, Oh, come on. I screw up all the time. Yeah. But when it comes to coaching, you have a lot of experience and you've seen a lot and, and yeah. Um, you know, the other thing about biking, it is probably most dangerous of the three sports. So be careful out there. Our friend just was in a little bit of a accident with a vehicle as you all, you all know, Kelsey, it probably will come out by this point. So it should be fine. But she, she, something happened. She collided with a car. Luckily she's okay. Um, I think she got a broken nose and uh, definitely a lot of bruising and she's going to be sore. So careful out there. Um, nobody likes to crash on a bike. So if you need to do your intervals on the trainer, cause it's 5 PM and it's rush hour, do your intervals on the trainer. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, well said. Okay, run. Running. Now, this is one where, you know, there's a lot more injury risk, of course, than the swim and the bike. So the running is, I think, as a, as a coach, when I'm programming for my athletes, that's the one where I'm really thinking about what are the fatigue levels going to be, you know, how much, stri- how much load have they been under, have they had any niggles, have they had any issues at all going into the, these runs. And also, that's where I really stress communication with the coach in terms of you know, letting the coach know if there's anything at all going on, that seems like it might be an injury. You gotta, you gotta be on top of that. So with running, typically the duration time-wise ends up being something in the neighborhood of like 50, 60 ish percent of the amount of time that the athlete spends on the bike. I find in that range. Um, and that's just because you can't pound your legs so much. Uh, you're just going to get injured. But yeah, a lot of people like to do a long run on the weekend um, that's mostly base and maybe has a little bit 
of a build to it or a bit of a tempo to it. I like to do, I have two workouts a week and I don't really necessarily have one run. That's like much longer than the other. Um, but obviously I don't have full-time job, but for most people, probably similar to the bike, you're going to have that midweek run workout that's shorter, but you're getting your hard intervals in and maybe it's something like an hour. And then on the weekend, you're going to get your longer run in and probably have a little bit more longer intervals or tempo in there. Um, and that's where you're going to get your race specificity and kind of build up towards that race pace as your race approaches. Um, mm -hmm. that's the typical strategy. Do you guys, how do you guys feel about that kind of a plan versus sort of the traditional plan of like one long run and two workouts where the long run, you kind of push the pace a little bit harder and then the two workouts are more interval based. Go ahead, Garrett. Definitely depends what you're training for. I think if you're, and it depends on, on your background too. So I think if you're training for something short course, you don't need to have a long run that you're cruising in zone three. You, you can, if you want to do a run like that, I would keep it shorter. Uh, but your long run. So something that I think is really unique to kind of what we saw, what I saw in James's program is that instead of having, like you see a lot of, coaches try to build their running program as a mini real running program of like a soul running program, which is like a mini marathon program or a mini 10 K program, something like that. And all they do is just cut out the fluff, but they leave like three hard runs a week and one long run in. And it's like, I wow. think, I think that's, that's a little much, you know? Um, so for me, this is another thing is, we used to do uh, three hard runs a week, one of which was a long run with longer intervals in it. And we just cut out that middle, that middle workout. And now it's just two hard runs, one of which is a long run. And then I have an easy base run that's 90 minutes as well. And then two short runs in the week. And I found that to be like, I've had some of my biggest gains in running this season. And I think absolutely definitely open running, obviously fitness wise, it's going to take time. It always takes time to show because running is the last event in the race. So sometimes it takes time to build enough fitness to show it in a race, but doing that has made has been wonders. And also load distribution, I think is very important with the running. So when I build my running program, the run is always the last aspect I drop in. So I drop in my swims, drop in my bikes. Sometimes I'll do the bike before the swim, swims before the bikes, but the running, I always seem to drop it in last when I'm coaching. And I do that with my program as well. And this is something that James and I really had to sit down and talk about. We used to have that classic Sunday long run. And I found that like, just with my schedule right now, like I just can't hit it, you know? So we pushed it, push it to Monday and we take like a Sunday, like really down day. And it allows me to kind of come in the week, like fresh, ready, and just like, hit that long run on, on Monday. And I think that's something you can't be afraid to do. You know, like you, you don't have to be super, like it's a triathlon running program. You don't need to be, you don't need to do that church on the Sunday long run every time, you know, if yeah. I know for a lot of people, it is a time thing, but sometimes you, you can be, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Not so like typical. I don't know atypical yeah you can be atypical you know okay yeah I, th I think when it comes to the run garrick i i've always do seem to kind of use it as a byproduct of limiting excessive fatigue like normally it's well we're biking hard these days and we could probably put in a couple runs that are shorter um here and there but yeah you're right sometimes the run is a byproduct of the week but there have been phases of training where I will put the, the swims and the run in first. And then the, once the bike is pretty solid, I'll use that almost to just add, because I think the run and the bike complement each other pretty well, you know, especially the bike complements the run recovery aspect. Instead of doing a, your Sunday long run, you could also just do like maybe a couple hour easy ride with your friends and get some mental enjoyment. Um, you're still kind of working a lot of those prime movers and you're flushing legs out after maybe some hard days. The run is something that is absolutely like it is so periodized within even a day-to-day -day program that you can take one day if you're not feeling it and move it to an, a 
couple of days later and you're not going to have these dire consequences. Like the run, I think needs to be flexible with every program, especially because sometimes you just dug really deep on the bike. And if you try to run hard, you're just, you're just doing too much damage and you're going to be paying for it for three to four days. And rather, if you just go easy on that day off the, on the run, you can hit that same run again as a standalone unit in a couple of days. So you've got to think about the mechanisms you really want to train and running off the bike is what we all do in triathlon. But if you're already going into that run every single time, your key run off the bike, you're already going in fatigued and, and hammered. You're not going to be able to push those mechanisms that are going to be developmental because you're not going to be able to hit the paces and the zones that are required to have, um, you know, stimulus to, to develop more mitochondrial depth at the muscle tissue level. So that's really all it is, right? In simple terms of training, we're just trying to build more of a powerhouse within the muscle tissue and how we stress our bodies and muscle and engage all the muscle fibers and, and fuel. That's all we're doing as coaches. So that's why you have to be flexible in the run. And you don't necessarily need to stick into a paradigm program. You don't need to run hundred K per week. I would argue that most successful pro runners, once they've gotten a good pedigree are doing between, you know, probably, almost 40 miles to maybe 60 miles. Like I don't think a whole lot of people are going over 60 mile weeks in triathlon because we're doing so much more on the bike and swim. Um, and we just see a lot more injury rates when it comes to that, because you might have a couple of big blocks where you're doing hundred K weeks, which, you know, 60 miles, but also those take a huge toll on the immune system. That's a lot more chronic fatigue and loading and, and pounding the body has to clear. So be patient on the run too. It's taken me friggin' forever to finally get to where I am. And it's, I've been chipping away year after year. Um, you have to be patient on the run. It's not, and they come, the gains on the run for me, I don't know about you guys, but they come in bursts. I'll be going decent for three to four months, having some breakthroughs that are kind of small, but then randomly I'll just have a stellar couple of weeks. And then that translates to a race. So you've just got to not, you've got to like do some witch doctor stuff. If you really want to make it work. I don't really know the exact formula for everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, every, it seems like every time, you know, these bursts, they always seem to happen. Like when Nike drops a new shoe for some reason, it's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. around that time. Oh, cool. Yeah. You got <laughs> rocket shoes. I can't agree with you more, Nick. And uh, in terms of improvements coming in bursts and, and as well as the run, you know, it takes a huge toll on the body. And for me, it's just like, I, I seem to have this fine line and, um, where, you know, it's right in the range you said. So for me, it's running roughly, I can, I can hit roughly 85, 90 K weeks and sit in there. But as soon as I start touching into the nineties, it's like vastly returns on my like form, my like fatigue levels are way higher. I just feel like that's the like point of, you know, okay, you get over 90, you can do that for a week or two, but you might not want to go more than that. And um, like, like you said, if you've done like a hard bike or anything to compromise your run form, it's just not, you know, it's not a way you want to train on the run because it is really hard on your core and your glutes and everything needs to be firing well for you to get the efficiency that you want to start training um, your body to be able to do. And so that's something that is just, you know, it's, you see people like run so hard in their workouts and they're like, how many people do you know that run like way faster in any workout all the time than they'll ever do in a race, even if it's like supposed to be at race pace. And yeah. I think that's because they're just not training that efficiency. They're not running with the same, with the same things in mind that they would be in a race. And yeah, of course you want to train a little bit above, but if you're like, I like to, I like to run to try to run roughly three twenty per K for my half Ironman pace in a training. And I've run that fast once or twice in a race typically i'll be more in the 325 per k range but it's something close and your body can actually feel that rhythm use the same form and train those mechanics that you want um but yeah if you're totally trash and you're just flailing through a workout and you can tell like i can tell when i'm running with terrible form and it shouldn't it shouldn't last long so yeah, yeah. you gotta let the ego slide away sometimes right yeah Good like time. i honestly like you know it's kind of, um, you know, every pro athlete, like, uh, uh it was kind of funny. Uh, a friend of mine, Ryan power, maybe he listens to this. I don't even actually know, but he 
there was a, a photo of him a couple weeks ago because he, he came to do a long run or a hard run workout with me, Dylan, Liang, and a couple others. And uh, the, the photo was taken at the last minute of the last rep of the workout. And he's like 10 meters behind uh, me, Liang, and Dylan. And in and, and the caption, he said, every pro behind every pro there's an age group for getting dropped on the last rep. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> and it's so true because I mean, like we as pros in our work, I find a lot of the time in training, like there's nothing crazy going on. Like there's so many people who I know who can run with me in, in training and, and bike and swim. And you know, they're fast in training, but when it comes to translating into the race, it's just not quite there. And I think it's partly just like, we train like that day in, day out. And then when you've got, you know, age groupers who are super amped to go to that group workout and they're rested and they're ready to smash it. Um, they just have that next level. And I think it's important. Like Nick said, you got to put the ego away sometimes and be like, all right, some age, an age groupers beating me today. That's fine. Like I know yeah. I'm running my paces and I know I'm hitting what I want to hit and that's a successful workout. And uh, the last thing I want to say about running too is double runs are great like if you can do a morning interval set and then do your lower steady volume in the evening too like that's great or however if you're looking if you're crunched for time and you need to get up to that like higher volume as a pure runner that's how most of them do it double triple runs i mean pro athletes will do the triple runs but it's a good way to prevent a lot of form degradation. You're not really smashing the hips for as long and you're giving yourself two to four hours sometimes to really recover, um, on a macro and micronutrient scale and to go do it again on some level. And you're able to clear out some of that inflammation you've caused in the meantime, rather than just accruing so much and doing it all at once. So you can split your runs up too, or even do soft surface or, um, treadmill running that is, you know, good for you sometimes. Like there's all kinds of tools available to make sure that you can hit running specificity that you need for your event. Yeah. And I kind of just want to reiterate Jack's point. I don't know why running more so than swimming and biking. There's just this pervasive culture of just going too hard, like running, like training too hard mm -hmm. on your hard stuff. And I know we always harp on like, take your easy stuff easy. You're doing your easy too hard, but they go too hard on the too hard <laughs> or on the hard. Like I had to stop running with the university guys. Cause they just crush every interval. They go so hard. They run their tempo runs. These guys are getting like 10 K PBs on their tempo runs. And I'm like, nice. this is not, this is not a tempo run. Like those you guys are PDPs. Are yeah. Let's call those PDPs. You're going to puke, die, or pass out. Those are yeah. the three outcomes of the PDP workout. And like, I don't know how, how many times you see like coaches just seem to ignore this. Like, oh, this is great. And it's like, well, no, he's going to be fine. It's not. If like, and like for us, if coach wants you to run at half marathon pace, run at half marathon effort, you know, like yeah. you don't need to be reaching. If, if it's a three minute tempo just to like, cause it's in there. Cause that's how the workout's structured. You don't need to smash the three minutes. Yes. We know you can run faster than half marathon pace for three minutes. Like just relax, like yeah. focus on what's important. Yeah. It's like reps, reps, reps. And sometimes even if you're working in the gym and you're doing curls and you're not using the maximum weight, you're just doing reps to build strength. And that's why sometimes you just run at or slightly above race effort. So you can get stronger at race effort when you're more fatigued. So you don't need to go 150%. Sometimes you just go 102%. Exactly. Yeah. Man. I've taken pace off my watch completely. I run alone now, but I've taken the pace off you my smell watch. Bad. Just, yeah. Well, there's <laughs> only so much you can do. I, uh, I, this is number watch number three that Nick's given me now that I have. <laughs> and, uh, I'm using the polar something or other. And I haven't actually figured out how to get it to show um, lap average pace, but I really like it. And I'm not putting it on because I, I think people get so obsessed with that watch and like literally look down, see that their pace is like three seconds off and put it in a surge. And it's like, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, okay, for one thing, a GPS can be off for sure. It can be off at any point in time, especially for short intervals, especially around the track. Like you're not running on a perfect flat road. You're taking turns. Like sometimes the footing's not great. You're tired, like all kinds of reasons you could be slower or faster and like, just run your effort, get to know your body because 
in a race, if you become obsessed with that watch, it's not gonna, it's not gonna pay off. Oh, it's like, a crusher. Yeah, I think and you then, said it perfect though. Run your effort. You know, it's not always run your pace. The effort is always gonna, it's gonna put stress on the body, and that's all you're trying to do. And if you can't hit pace, you can hit effort. Yeah, and it's just a lot of extra mental stress that you don't need because you have enough going on in your life. You don't need to overstress <laughs> while you're running that you're not hitting your pace. Just yeah. keep it in the effort. You, I guarantee you'll get the same adaptations, if not yeah. better. And it's a weight lifted off your shoulders. So exactly. Um, okay, so we've nailed almost everything. One thing I quickly want to touch on: brick workouts, interval brick workouts. People love talking about bricks. So what do you think? I know I definitely like to hit some runs straight off the bike, especially as races are coming up, to get that feel, to get that kind of um, you know used to that running on wobbly legs. Uh, in the mid race season, when I'm doing a lot of racing, I don't do as many just because every race is a brick and I like to separate my workouts typically to get the quality to ensure that I'm rested going in. Um, I used to do interval bricks every single week. And in the last couple of years, I've cut those back just because I found I couldn't get the quality in that interval brick workout that I could, if I was doing a separate bike and a separate run workout. Um, mm -hmm. so that's kind of why I landed on that. So what do you guys think? I know Nick for sure. Um, you like running off the bike hard sometimes explain why you like that and when you think it's good or not good. So I came into this sport at a deficit already. Like I had never done cross country track or anything crazy. So in my opinion, over the last, you know, almost five to eight years, I've been trying to play catch up on the run. I just didn't have the pedigree. So that's why I've always liked the mental strength that comes with running off the bike, doing some hard intervals. I don't go for like, you know, maybe the longest I'll do hard off the bike is a 15 minute or, but I usually keep it to 2k, 1k reps and it's just for overspeed. So I can kind of train my hips to handle the workload because those seem to have failed me in the past. So that's why I like to train them, um, off the bike and I'm not running hour and a half off the bike maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour and 10 at maximum. And that's usually with a long, easy cool down. So I like to do the quality off the bike, um, randomly doesn't have to be every week. And sometimes I just like to run easy off the bike. I don't, I like that because how many times we have to run off hard off the bike. That's when it counts. So when I can run off easy off the bike and just get a 30 minute or done and get some extra run mileage when I'm already warmed up, practice some nutrition, see what my stomach can handle. Those are the times when I just handle, I do the, the nutritional practice or an interval brick too. Like those are what two hours in total where you're doing like 10 K max bike, two K max run or three K max run. And you do those two or three times. And that's just so you can really work on your fucking mental toughness. That's the other aspect that bricks add. And that's why we do them. Um, they add a level of mental toughness. You can't get just on standalones sometimes, unless you're, you know, running with, Jackson and Cody, and they're just crushing the, the warm up. Uh, warm up. But, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I, I take, I, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. But, anyways, that's kind of my um, interval brick and brick opinion. I think as you get closer to a race within the last six weeks, you just start doing more frequency, maybe maximum um, one good one off the bike, and then one easy off the bike. Um, and then just the other standalone stuff, just for pacing. So you can get comfortable with that gray pacing, that gray zone pacing that everyone tries to avoid. Normally we're training extremes, lows and highs, but on race day, you've got to be in that gray zone. So you got to get comfortable with it over time for sustained periods. Gary. Yeah. I, I think, man, we used to do so much of it when we were racing short course. I think it's mostly just a mental thing and it's also just good to go through the motions. So when you get close, I, some of my guys, I get them to do it like race week. I'll get them to do it really short, like a 2K bike, 500 meter run two or three times through that, like during race week, just to go through the motions, get used to it. And then, yeah, just running off the bike as well. It's, it's more just like feeling it out and being comfortable knowing that you're okay feeling like this and you'll be all right. And less, I don't know if there's any physiological adaptations for it. I don't think it's ever been studied, but I agree. Uh, it's so mental and like, it's important though. Like for, yeah. me, for my first race of the year, I'm going to want to do two or three runs off the bike where I jump off the bike and at least run at race pace a little bit. And just to, just to remember that it's fine. And 
that's basically the main part of it. And that's, that really boils down to mostly what Nick said too. You got to know, you got to be able to hurt off, off the bike and get into that run speed um, on fatigued legs. So, yeah, yeah. I, I literally, I will say when, from when I went from doing a lot of interval bricks to almost cutting them out completely, I had a huge improvement of my running off the bike in a race. Now that's not to say it was from that, but what did happen was I just ended up having better quality on my runs and bikes on average because I wasn't doing interval bricks every single week. Um, mm -hmm. And so I probably became a little bit stronger on both and it resulted in me becoming a better runner off the bike. And that was kind of 2018 when I really started running better off the bike. Um, and I've continued to improve since then. So don't stress out if you're not getting an interval brick every single week, just remember that you're training everything you're, you're going to be fit and strong. And as long as you get a little bit of that specificity before the race, you're going to be ready to go. Yeah. yeah. I think we fell out of favor kind of at, at, with it at the same time. And I noticed similar to like, I used to crush these intervals and be like, man, I'm holding like 400 Watts on the bike for 10 minutes and running three minute K's off the bike. Why can't I do this in a race? And it's like, well, I'm getting like, when I look at, looked at it and broke it down, it's like, well, I'm getting like 20 minutes between run reps and like 10 minutes between bike reps. So yes. no wonder I'm like smashing it. And then it just never really carried over. And I found I never got enough out of a run, enough out of a bike. So I'm not totally against doing hard bike. And then right after going into a hard run, it's just going back to back to back, like bike run, bike run, bike run. Kind of deal. Yeah. I, I think they all have certain applications to where it applies to short course um those probably more for short course because you're able to smash the vo2 and you're going to have to suffer and break through that first mile even though you hate yourself so there's just mental components that go with every session so i think that we've all learned a lot from what does and doesn't work from us by now and that's the most important thing like you figure out where your weak areas are where the holes are in your program could be mental could be nutrition could just be your big old wuss on the bike and once it starts hurting you're just crying and tears are squirting out the old eye holes but beyond Story that life <laughs> yeah you just gotta you just gotta figure it out like my favorite my favorite motto because everyone likes to talk about all their training and post all over social media is train hard and fuck off just swallow it, it you don't talk about it every day no one really cares just train hard and fuck off if your best coach your training's going all the time are you really trying to show it to everyone else? Or are you trying to convince yourself? That's right. The best running coach I ever met and the wisest, Mr. Gary Malloy. He passed away a couple of years ago at a training camp, but he used to say this, run lots of easy, run some hills, some tempo, some fast. Boom. <laughs> Is that why it's tattooed on you now? <laughs> yeah, that's on my lower back. That's a good one. Well, cool. Well, so I think that we've added a lot of value to most anyone. I mean, there's certainly contentious points. Uh, people might argue with us and please, you know, put some notes or send us an Instagram message about your thoughts. Uh, if we have some things that we should talk about next time we have a rambling training session, but uh, for now, I think that's pretty good. We should wrap it up. Yeah, man. I got a steak waiting for me. So I would. Yeah. So, someone's like steak. It up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that was great. And we're done. And Garrick is going to do the thing. All right, guys. Until next time. Peace. Out. All right. That was good. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise. On a one-man mission trying to see it through.